Today, we have this awesome privilege of, as we sort of begin the new year, it's still January, so I still think of it as a kind of a fresh new start, but we have this awesome experience of beginning a new sermon series, and I don't know about you, but I am kind of ready for some fresh teaching, something new as we mark the new year. And while I was in Michigan, one of my tasks, I know some of you think that I'm just out there, you know, having fun all the time and I forget about you guys and I, you know, but that's really not the case because a lot of times when I'm on a vacation or a break, even in the summer, I'm thinking about you guys and I'm praying for you and I'm praying for God's kind of direction and guidance for us as a church. In other words, Lord, what would you have me preach about? Lord, where would you want us to go as a church? And, and how can I be a better leader? How can I lead in a way that would be pleasing to you? And so, thankfully, God always seems to answer those prayers. Isn't that amazing? I mean, can you imagine if I came back after Christmas in Michigan and said, gang, God has stopped speaking. There's no more sermons to preach. And some of you would stand up and rejoice and like, yeah, worship would be so short. It'd be so, we'd go home early. No. So, but no, God always speaks. And uh, today we're beginning a brand new sermon series entitled, When Kingdoms Collide. And as I wrote in my pastor's preview, I hope by the way that you read that, I send that out on Fridays. It goes through our prayer chain through Cheryl. And, and I hope that it gives you a little pre, uh, precursor, a little bit of foretaste, if you will, kind of the appetizer for Sunday morning. Uh, you know, we see conflicts all over, right? We see cold fronts meet warm fronts, and they, they create storms. There's a kind of a collision of air masses. Uh, we see conflicts in politics between Republicans and Democrats, and there's a, an election and so forth. There's kind of a clash of wills. Uh, people meet on the wrestling mat, and there's an individual clash of wills, and who's going to, you know, wrestle who and when and those kinds of things. We, we will all see some probably competitions on the gridiron. Uh, maybe this afternoon you're going to watch some football and, and these two teams are going to go at it with a, a real contest to see is this like winner, uh, win or go home, right? Uh, playoff time, wild card weekend. So uh, today we're looking, however, and for the next several weeks, we're going to look at when the kingdom of God collides with the kingdoms of this world and even the kingdom of Satan, this counter kingdom which has kind of sprung up because of sin and because of evil in our world. So, um, so there's going to be lots of great things in weeks to come. I just know that. We're going to journey systematically through the book of Mark. And last week we already started with Mark chapter 1 and the baptism, John's baptism, the baptism of Jesus, and, uh, and then the, the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And uh, so today we're continuing on. I left the scripture up here, so let me grab that, and I'll just read it from down here, if that's okay with you. Uh, but we are looking today at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. In my Bible, the section is entitled, The Calling of the First Disciples. Please hear the word of God. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. 
At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's pray. Lord and God, we need your help to understand these scriptures. We're thankful that word and spirit go together and that your spirit is present here this morning and in our lives, in fact, every day. So, Lord, come and enlighten us, illumine us by your Spirit, that we might understand and hear your word. Anoint this message, anoint the messenger, anoint us all as we listen and hear what it is that you are wanting to say to the church, even to Grace Church, and to each one of us individually as well today. Come, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever get frustrated with politics? <laughs> kind of a rhetorical question, right? I mean, we probably all do. I mean, we see this all the time, right? Politicians arguing with each other, calling each other names. I mean, we've sunk to a new low, if you ask me, in this nation regarding our politics. Republicans are uh, pitted against Democrats, Democrats against Republicans. Uh, they can't seem to agree on anything in Congress, can't seem to get anything done. In fact, we can't even have a civil discourse anymore. Uh, the divide is so deep in our nation that sometimes even families and friends are cut off from each other. Sometimes maybe even you have some family members who are, are not on speaking terms right now. Maybe some were kind of Trump supporters and others were Biden supporters. And, and now there's a divide. And, and even on Facebook, people have been defriended because of they, they stand for a different political viewpoint. Never before has this nation been so divided, so contentious, so chaotic, and so crazy. And I think, meanwhile, we as Americans, we, we sort of suffer the results of this, this ineffective, dysfunctional government. I mean, there are real social issues that we face as a nation. In fact, there's a pandemic. There's economic hardship. There's a great resignation in our job market today. Uh, there's social issues. There's racial divides. There's a lack of moral leadership. There's increasing disparity between rich and poor in this country, and there is a great distrust of our leaders and of the media. We don't know what's fake news or real news. There's lies being circulated around. And the fact of the matter is, whether we really want to admit it or not, but Washington, D.C. is broken. And our government is broken. In a way, our nation is broken. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Some of us would like to go back to earlier times, you know. Fact is, we're not going back. We have to find a way forward. Wouldn't it be great if we could find a kind of politics, a kind of government that was actually based on truth, based on justice, based on righteousness, wouldn't it be great to have a government that actually worked, that worked for, for the people, for ordinary folks like you and me, a, a government where compromise and conversation were not dirty words, where people could work together for the betterment of the nation, of the people? 
Wouldn't it be great to have a government that was based on truth and justice and righteousness and peace and where people could live in prosperity, even in joy, where human life matters? where nations could come together in unity, where there was no more war, where people didn't have to worry about their next paycheck or safety or security. How many would like to live in that kind of government? Wouldn't that be cool? If that's you, then I have some really, really good news for you today. That government is possible. It's real. And it's here today. It's not found in in, in cities like Washington, D.C. or Moscow or Beijing or Tokyo or Tehran or London or any other earthly city or nation. It's a government that you're not likely to hear about on the evening news or read about in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or find seated at the United Nations. In fact, it is a government that is led and ruled by a great king and his people based on love and truth and justice and righteousness. You say, well, what is this government, Pastor, that that sounds too good to be true? Will it come by approving Biden's social agenda or by re-electing Trump in 2024? (laughs) No. (laughs) The government of which I speak, of which you have already guessed, is none other than the government of God the kingdom of God on earth. It was nearly 3,000 years ago that Isaiah prophesied, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. He will be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end, and he will reign on David's throne forever establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. That's the prophecy. We've just been looking at it throughout the season of Advent and Christmas. And in Jesus Christ, this prophecy is coming true. The government which has come to earth, is the government that Jesus Christ brings. In Mark 1, verse 15, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Some versions say it's at hand or it has come. Hallelujah, we are not limited by a two-political party system anymore. You don't have to follow the tribalism of Republicans or the tribalism of Democrats. There is another kingdom breaking into this world through Jesus Christ. As Christians, we live under the government of God Himself. We live above the politics of this world, do we not? And today, Mark reveals for us three really important characteristics of this government, this kingdom of God come to earth in the person of Jesus. And I invite you to take out your outline and let's fill it in as we go. Number one. The first thing that Mark reveals about this kingdom come is that Jesus inaugurates the coming kingdom of God. Say it with me. Jesus inaugurates the coming kingdom of God. Let me ask you this question. What gospel did Jesus preach? 
Think about that for a moment. Now, we as evangelicals, we often like to relegate the gospel to, we could kind of summarize it in three points. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. He rose from the dead. And for those who trust in Him, you too can have a new life. Now, that's a pretty good summary of the gospel. And that's a very important part of the gospel. But it is not the sum total of the gospel. It's just a part Because if that were the gospel, what gospel did Jesus come preaching at the start of his ministry? He hadn't yet died. He hadn't yet risen from the dead. What was the gospel that Jesus preached? And Mark tells us, verses 14 and 15, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Say it with me. The good news of God. Some say the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Some translations say repent and believe the gospel. Friends, the gospel that Jesus preached is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God coming to earth in all of that which it encompasses. Some, translate, uh, some, as I said, have translated that it means that it's at hand or it has come. But the fact is the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. The person of Jesus is inaugurating this new government. He is initiating this new kingdom, this new government of God, the same kingdom that was predicted and prophesied by Isaiah. We just read that passage. And of course, God has always reigned. God is always sovereign. But now, in a way not seen before, God is demonstrating His kingdom power on earth through Jesus, as we will see as we continue to journey through the gospel of Mark. Now, sadly, there's too many people that deny this kingdom of God come to earth. There are too many people that flat out refuse to believe it. There are many Jews who are still waiting for the Messiah, who who don't believe that Jesus was really the Messiah. They're still waiting. Premillennial dispensationalists say that the kingdom of God will come only when Jesus returns, and then he will set up a literal 1,000-year reign on earth. Some just flat out refuse to believe that God's power is present in our world today. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand In Reformed circles and in many other circles, we speak of the kingdom of God as already present today, but not yet fulfilled. You see, the only difference between the kingdom of God today and a future kingdom of God is that today we live with a counter-kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, the enemy, going on at the same time. That's the only difference. And when Jesus returns again, he will destroy that counter kingdom and he will destroy the enemy, Satan. In the meantime, we live in this world with sort of two kingdoms, if you will. 
the kingdom of God and a counter-kingdom of the enemy. And yes, one day Jesus will return, and He will destroy that enemy, and He will establish His kingdom in its entirety on this earth. The kingdom is already come. It is not yet fulfilled. But the reign and the power and the rule of God through Jesus is here today, and it is here to stay. That's the gospel that Jesus preached. That's the good news that ought to give us hope and liberate our hearts. And maybe today you are living under darkness and you have come under the spell of Satan's kingdom and there are things in your life that are controlling you and there are things, the powers of darkness and forces of evil that are acting on your life. And today we need to know that God through Jesus is breaking into this world and releasing, unleashing a new power, that of the government and kingdom of God. That's the good news. Jesus inaugurates, establishes this kingdom of God on earth, even in the lives of believers, which is why at another place in the Gospels, Jesus would say the kingdom of God is within you. Friends, there's a new sheriff in town. His name is Jesus. Mark reveals three things about this kingdom come. Jesus inaugurates the coming kingdom of God. Number two, Jesus issues the call to repent and believe. Say it with me. Jesus issues the call to repent and believe. The question is, how do we enter into this kingdom of God? How do we enter into this new form of government? Do I, is this, do I need a passport? Do I need a visa to get in? How do I get in? And Jesus tells us so in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent and believe the good news. Two things, repent and believe. First off, repentance. Repentance entails turning around, going in a whole new direction. Repentance means that a change is needed. A new lifestyle must be born within you. A change. You know, we've heard all the jokes about, you know, how many, uh, we'll say Germans, some of us are Germans, we can poke fun of ourselves, right? Uh, you know, how many Germans does it take to, to change a light bulb? And they say, well, it takes five, it takes one to climb the ladder and hold the bulb, and four to pick up the ladder and turn and, and rotate the ladder so that I unscrew the bulb, right? You know, uh, Todd said, you know, how many, how many does it take? It takes a hundred and how many politicians does it take to change a light bulb? A hundred and one. It takes one to actually uh, change the light bulb and then a committee of a hundred to, uh, to study the environmental impact of that. So uh, Todd shared that one with me this morning. But when you ask the joke, how many Dutchmen does it take to change a light bulb? The Dutchmen have a fit. Ch change, change, ch 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 change. We can't have change, Okay. So that's me. I don't like change. I like predictability and patterns, right? The fact is we don't like change. None of us really do. We are creatures of habit. But Jesus is teaching us today that the kingdom of God requires this fundamental deep change. It's no longer business as usual. It's no longer status quo spirituality. It's no longer about religion and rules and rituals or laws and legalisms. It's not about, never about status or worldly wealth and prestige and position or popularity and power. It's not about military might or political affiliation, whether you're Democrat or Republican or Trump or Biden supporter. It's never about those things. It's always 
about something altogether different, the kingdom of God, coming under His Lordship and His reign in your heart. Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. This kingdom of God comes to earth, demands a deep change in our life. Do you remember Copernicus? He was the guy who was kicked out of the church for using his telescope. He posited that as he studied the uh, universe, that the earth revolves around the sun and not the sun revolving around the earth. And this was like crazy news to the early world because they thought, hey, we as religious people, we are the crown of God's salvation. We are the center of His salvation. I mean, this was heresy. And they kicked Him out of the church. So no, the earth, we, God's creation, His people, we are the center of the universe. Well, guess what happened? And years later, more scientists came along and they discovered, you know what, Copernicus was right. The earth does revolve around the sun. And an incredible paradigm shift, a whole revolution and a way of thinking and viewing things in the universe, in the world, in our lives was, was, was born because of this revolution. And today Jesus is saying, repent. You need a Copernican revolution in your heart, in your life. The world does not revolve around you around your preferences, around your desires, around your whims, around your agenda, around your selfishness. It requires a complete surrender, a bending of the knee, and to say, Jesus, you, you are my Lord. I submit to you, and therefore we come into this new government where God, Jesus, becomes our Lord and our King. Repentance. Number two, Jesus says, the second thing you need to do is believe. Believe. The world says, seeing is believing. We've heard the expression, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Maybe some of you have said that. Jesus says, believing is seeing. Believe first, and then you will see it. Have faith. Hebrews 1.1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.7, We live by faith, not by sight. Jesus exhorts His followers, His disciples, time and time again to believe, to just have faith. In fact, He, he chides them uh, at times and says, Oh, you of little faith. Like, come on. And so this government of God will be a kingdom for believers, for those who walk with the Lord in faith, not by sight. It will require stepping out of comfort zones, getting out of the boat, so to speak, trusting when we can't see it, believing in what's incredible. And we'll see this theme played out throughout the Gospel of Mark as we continue our study. But the question I want to ask you now is, how do you need to repent and believe to receive the kingdom of God anew? Again, as we begin this new year, 2022, today, now is the time for dedication, for rededication, for commitment, for recommitment. God has given us a golden opportunity, as I said last week, for a fresh new start. May the waters of your baptism flow over you and cleanse you 
as we begin anew and the Spirit is poured into us anew. And so maybe there are some things in your life that you need to leave behind. Maybe there are some things that you need to repent from and go in a whole new direction. Maybe there are some habits, some behaviors, some sins to leave behind. Maybe there are some values, some attachments, some affections that need to be broken so that you can live more freely under the reign in the kingdom of God. Maybe there are some attitudes, some judgments, some self-righteous feelings that need to be let go of. Because today, my friends, I believe Jesus is calling you and me and Grace Church to a fresh faith. To begin again and anew this new year. That we might be clear about what we believe and why. Uh, To believe that God, yes, a miracle is possible. That God has the power to heal and to forgive and to cleanse. That I can step out in faith and enter into the kingdom of God knowing that I am in God's hands and Jesus is on the throne of my life. I can surrender and humble myself before Him as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Yes, Jesus inaugurates the coming kingdom of God, but He also issues a call to repent and believe this is our ticket in to the kingdom of God, your passport in, your visa for admittance. And thirdly, Mark reveals that Jesus invites the common person to participate. Say it with me. Jesus invites the common person to participate. If you were uh, God... (laughs) And it's a good thing you're not. It's a good thing I'm not God. But if I were, or if you were, how would you begin a new movement, a new government? I mean, what kind of people would you enlist to help you, to, uh, you know, be your advisors, to, to serve in your cabinet, if we use the language of American politics? I mean, who would you gather around you? Now, we might think that God would choose the most important, influential people, people in high places and powerful positions, people who others would listen to. Maybe they're popular, maybe they're famous, people who are well-equipped and and well-positioned to make a difference and bring this new reality, this new kingdom into being. But that's not how God operates. That's not what Jesus does. That's not who Jesus chooses. In fact, God, uh, the Bible says God chooses the simple things of this world to shame the wise. And we might add to build his kingdom. James and John, ordinary fishermen. Andrew. Who was he? Simon. Jesus calls ordinary fishermen to follow him in this mission. And there's a couple things we really need to know about this passage. The first is this. It is highly unusual for a Jewish rabbi to initiate the call to come follow me. You see, in the Jewish culture, it was an honor to follow a rabbi every Jewish boy, every Jewish man wanted to follow a good and reputable rabbi. 
And in fact, they would study and they would learn and, and, and they would apply and ask, I, I want to be your disciple. Um, can, can I be your disciple? Can I follow you, O rabbi? And there were several rabbis in that day to, to choose from each with their own kind of band of disciples and their own teaching. But here Jesus is the one who initiates. He goes to them. He meets them where they are. This same Jesus meets you and me right where we are today. In your workplace, in your home, in your marriage in the mess of our lives, in the, dirty, in the dirty fishing business of our lives. And Jesus initiates and he says, no, you, you come and follow me. Now, what does it mean that, uh, that these fishermen are, are fishing with their fathers? A little background here, as you know, as I just shared with you, uh, a Jewish boy or a young man would, would love to be a disciple of a good, reputable Jewish rabbi. And Jewish boys would work very hard to gain this honor. Early in their lives, they would dedicate themselves to memorizing the Torah, which is the Jewish name for the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the first step in following a rabbi would be to memorize the entire Torah. Now, I don't know if I have trouble memorizing a single verse sometimes, let alone those books. And those are not like little short books, right? I mean, have you read Genesis lately? I mean, there's a lot of chapters there. And all of these books, they would memorize that. And then, if they were good enough, if they would make the next cut, then they would continue the memorization process through the entire Hebrew Scriptures, which is what we call the Old Testament. Genesis through Malachi. That's huge. Now, that's like in my Bible, it's like about this thick, right? I mean, you know, can you imagine learning that by heart? And this is what Jewish boys, young men did if they wanted to follow a rabbi, and then if they were lucky enough to, to do good at this, and maybe they were tested, and then they would be tested on this part, and if they, if they made the cut, if they got this far, then they could, they could apply to follow a rabbi. They could, they could ask, I want to be your disciple. And they might be quizzed. There might be some examinations. There might be a verbal exam. And then they would uh, the rabbi would decide whether or not you could make the cut. And he might say, no, I, says, I, I, you, you, maybe you should go back to your family trade and work on that. Or if you were good enough, if you made the cut, if you were the best of the best of the best, the Jewish rabbi might say, come, follow me. The same words Jesus said to Simon, Andrew, James, and John. The same words Jesus says to you and me today. And when Jesus says those words, come and follow me, what he's saying in the history of the, of the uh, rabbinic tradition, the Jewish tradition, is that I believe that you've got what it takes to be one of my disciples. 
I believe that it, you've got what it takes to be like me. I believe that you can do what I do as a rabbi. And when Jesus calls these men, he is saying to them, I believe you've got the right stuff. You can do what I do. It's the same thing Jesus is saying to you and me today. He says, I believe you've got what it takes. And in fact, what you're missing, I'm going to put in you by my spirit. That comes later. But I think Jesus knew that. He's saying, I, I think you can do what I do. Which is why, and you remember the episode of Peter, and Jesus comes to the disciples in the middle of the lake and walking on the water in the midst of a storm, and the disciples are going crazy, and there's Jesus. He comes out, they think he's a ghost at first, and, and he says, no, it's me, it's me, it's I. And uh, Peter says, if it's you, Lord, then, then let me come to you. And, and uh, the master, Jesus, he calls him, and he will come, come. And, and Peter gets out of the boat. He thinks, why? Why does he do that? Because he thinks, if the rabbi can do it, so can I. If my rabbi can do it, then I should be able to do it too. That's what Peter was thinking. That's the mindset of the day. No wonder he would try to walk on water. And he gets out of the boat, and he does it. Okay, just a few steps, but he does it. And today, Jesus is calling you and me. He's calling us to be a part of his grand mission, this new government, this kingdom of God. He's saying, I want you to help me. I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to bring you along with me. I want you to be a part of this new kingdom. I want you to be a part of its mission. I want you to be a part of its expansion in our world. Because, mind you, we live in a dark world. And there's a counter kingdom, the kingdom of the enemy, which is at work, and it is robbing people of love and life and joy. And so I need you to help me to come and spread this good news, the good news that the kingdom is breaking in. When I was in eighth grade, I had the kind of the privilege, I guess, of, of being uh, able to take high school algebra there were some select students, a, a, a small class, that were kind of on the fast track when it came to math. I used to be really good at math. Now I have trouble just balancing my checkbook. But, um, you know, back in those days, I loved math. I kind of still do. Math is fun. And, um, you know, uh, so I was on kind of the fast track, and one of the better math students, and, uh, along with some others. And so they put us in a class to study high school algebra in eighth grade. Our teacher, Miss Vancouverine, you didn't really want to mess with her. She was pretty strict. She was a good teacher, but she was strict. And I remember in this class, you know, we get these homework assignments, and you'd have to go home, and you'd have to factor binomials and polynomials and x squared and x cubed and equals, you know, all of that stuff. You remember, some of you remember that jargon. And um, we had to do these things. We had, we'd come back the next day to class, and we'd go over the homework. And she'd ask, did anybody have any questions over the homework? And, you know, sometimes I kind of caught on, but I was a little bit slow to catch on, so it took me a little while. And, and does anybody have any questions? And, and I'm just sitting there some days kind of dumbfounded. 
Like, I don't even know how to formulate the question, right? To, to, uh, you know, I just don't even know what to say, how to even ask the question. And there were others of us in the same boat. I wasn't the only one. But if there were no more questions, because we didn't even know how to ask the question, and there was silence, sometimes, almost once a week, in fact, she would say, okay, pop quiz time. Take everything off your desk except the pencil. And then she'd hand out a paper, and there would be like five algebra problems on it that we would have to, you know, factor or solve or whatever it was. And sometimes I did pretty good on those quizzes, and there was a few quizzes where I failed. But I remember when she said, okay, take everything off your desk except the pencil. I remember my heart skipping a beat. I mean, I think my blood pressure soared. I think it's probably why I have blood high blood pressure today. You know, I'm on medication for that, it, you know, probably because of Miss Vancouverine. Um, you know, it runs in the family. It's hereditary, I think. But anyway, and, and I remember those words after a period of time when we were there struggling through the pop quiz, maybe after 10 minutes or so, she would say these words. Time's up. Turn in your answers. Time's up. Turn in your answers. <gasps> I wasn't even done yet, you know. And when John was put in prison, Jesus came and he said, Time's up. The time has come. Turn in your answer. No more putting it off. No more delay. Now's the time. Are you with me or not? Will you follow me? Will you be one of my disciples or not? Time's up. It's time to turn in your answer. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is upon you. Repent and believe the good news. And it is good news. But today is a day of rededication to this great kingdom, this new government of God of which we live under by His grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we come before you today. We just need you so much. We know that without you we are nothing. We can do, we can do nothing. Uh, Lord, we just know that with you, Lord Jesus, there is hope. We thank you, God, that even though we are in the world, we are not of the world. That we belong and are citizens of a higher government than the one that rules this nation. Than the dysfunctional one that we know all too well. We thank you for this kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy, one that is largely entered into not in real visible ways, but often only through the hearts of those who follow you. As we repent, as we believe the good news, help us, Lord, as a church family moving forward. Lord, may we live in your new world, in your new kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. We pray it in your holy name. Amen.